You are listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. For a second, I thought you were absolutely serious. Wait, maybe you were. I don't... (laughs) Stephanie, are you saying you didn't like this book? No. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Legendarium. We are the Blue Team, and we are here to talk about Nemesis Games, the second half. We have uh, Stephanie with us. We have Ken with us. And, of course, I'm here. I'm Todd. Um, Hi, Todd. Hi. Um, Stephanie just said that I uh, just cracked open my my next can of caffeine. Uh, I got a Coke Zero. (laughs) I think I've had a Coke Zero going for... About six hours now, nonstop. So I'm just sounds... jealous because I'm over here drinking fruit punch out of like a <laughs> mix, out of a sippy cup, and I'm really wishing I had stopped for a fizz before coming into the studio. So you it's know, really we'll... just jealousy that you're on your like twelfth Coke Zero today, <laughs> and I haven't even had one yet. Well, Do you think to... we could get Fizz to sponsor this? To be fi- maybe we should. Oh, maybe we should. We'll, we'll see how we'll see what we can do for product placement. I, I'm not going to say I'm not going to say it's happening. I will constantly have a fizz cup right in front of me for product placement <laughs> while we record if they will sponsor us. But just not so not aware. for nothing. I do know the owners of Fizz. Oh, there you go. There you go. We might have some. We fun work with out that. together. Well, uh, so, maybe maybe we can get a, that, maybe we can get free uh, gift cards for all of our Patreon oh, subscribers. Man. So that's, they Something. all just have to fly to Utah to make it work, right? <laughs> uh, and for those of you that are uh, that are international, that might be a little bit tricky. But wait, uh, because of COVID, there should be lots of availability of flights. So we'll see how that goes. <laughs> uh, there is a lot to unpack in the second half of Nemesis Games. Wait, so, wait, wait! I want to I want to use I want to use this segue. Caffeine really is my nemesis. <laughs> oh my goodness. It really? Is. Oh my gosh! We I really should just so end the much. podcast there, then. Like, so that's much it. What else do we need to say nemesis. about this? Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> For a second, I thought you were absolutely Wait. serious. Wait, maybe you were. I don't. <laughs> Stephanie, are you saying you didn't like this book? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, people, you can hate me if you need to, but. For as much as you all seem to love this book and it is your favorite of the series, I'm sorry, I don't get it. Like, I didn't hate this book. It's an enjoyable book, but I do not understand why this is a favorite amongst the Expanse fans. And, okay. and maybe, Devil's Advocate, maybe it is simply because we get so much backstory and depth and fleshing out of our favorite four characters. You know, our, our main four. And that might be the reason. Because and I'm, I'm certainly not saying I didn't enjoy this book because I did. It's yeah. just not, I don't see the level of, this is the best book, at least yeah. for me, yeah. story. Like. Yeah. And, and if you, I mean, look out the window for, for meteors because, and locusts, <laughs> because I think Stephanie and I are in agreement here. Well. Honestly, it is 2020's ending. Yeah. People, the end so, of the world. Ken and I this, have agreed. This is the final. <laughs> this is the final sign. Is that Stephanie and I have agreed? But somebody pull out an old uh, album of uh, Europe and start playing the final countdown. Yeah, um, <laughs> because it it really is an enjoyable book from a character standpoint and and from enjoying the characters, but from a complete story standpoint, this book just leaves you kind of lacking. Okay, I'll buy that. And and I'll say the reason for it being. Because it, it doesn't feel like it resolves anything. It feels like it's just kind of moving us to the next big thing and, and hanging it out there like a big tease going, yeah. you know, hey, get the next four books, everybody. This is a this is a really interesting... I, for me, this feels like The Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. Um, I can see this. It, it, it feels That's what, like... It's what The Empire Strikes Back does. It's, yeah. it's exactly what The Empire Strikes Back does. Except in in this particular series, it took us five books to get there instead of two. Um, I I recognize that what we've just done with the conclusion of this is to put, oh, well, not just our heroes, but the entire human race into a really horrific situation from which they really can't extract themselves easily. <laughs> yeah. Which is in the in the makings of a series of books makes it a really good pivotal point. So from that standpoint... 
I could say, okay, I get it. I get why everybody loves this book so much from the standpoint of the, uh, of, uh, and especially because, and I'll tell you the one thing, I guess we should say spoilers, but everybody kind of everybody, knows. Everybody, yeah. If they're ever here with us, we're, we're talking spoilers. Yeah. It's just kind we, of the way that We it go goes. in and talk spoilers. Um, for, for me, the moment that I say to myself, okay, I think I know where everybody's coming from, saying that this is the best of the uh, of the whole book series, um, and I could be totally wrong on this too. Maybe maybe other people have some other ideas and opinions, but for me, the reason that I can can understand it is we've we've pulled everybody apart that we kind of threw together, and we've we've given them an opportunity to all be on their own and as characters have have enough of an arc that we can turn around and say, yeah, but they are choosing to stay together now. Yeah. And so there's some, there's some real resolution. And I think as, as we look at that, those, those character arcs, those stories, uh, those things that were going on with the characters in between, yeah, those give them some cohesion. But additionally, we pull the, the, all of the ancillary characters together and make a real good claim for the fact that they're gonna have to work together a lot differently moving forward. But perhaps most important, at least for me, is that we get a glimpse at the killers of the protomolecule masters, or at least at what their power can be. Oh, yeah. In the epilogue, we see a glimpse. Remember the, the Doniger class vessel is going in and it's getting ready to take its place inside the ring, go inside the ring. And then... And then the captain is like, and he recognizes that he sees his person, but he also sees all the lights and all the photons and he sees the space in between the molecules and he sees it. It's, it's like the moment at the end of, of, uh, 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 2001, a space odyssey, oh, right, right. you know, where he's like, it's all full you know? of stars. Uh, and, and then he's gone and we get a glimpse at just what really is out there that they have to fight. From my standpoint, if that's what people are saying, that's why they love this book so much, I could buy that one too. I don't think I could buy that I love this book so much because of the epilogue. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's... Maybe. Uh, I don't know what else to like. That for me, I can't, I can't justify that this is the best book of the entire series because of the epilogue, okay, which I, isn't even actually a part of the story or the characters. You, or I can get it. I can get it. I, I could see it. But here's the other thing that I wonder is if there's things that happen in the next four or five books that harken back to what's done here that makes all of this stuff really important. And that could be, and I'm like I said, I don't, I'm not complaining about this book like I have complained about other books previous to this one. <laughs> Um, it's a good book. It's a good story. I love these characters and I love having a chance to really get the story from their point of view. But as a, a whole, I almost feel like we could have cut most of the first half of this book, shoved the second half of this book into the first half, and then continued on with the bigger story that they were building up in this book with the, the free Navy and the outer planets and everything that was happening with this kind of civil war that's brewing. And James sure. Holden becoming sheriff of yeah, the new of belt. The, oh my of gosh. The universe. Yeah. <laughs> like that's kind of, I feel like we were building up this whole, so I only feel like I've read half of a book right now. Yeah. Okay. That was stretched out into a full, I, yeah, I, I absolutely like agree. A lot of the stuff, we spent way too much time on the saving of Naomi and we spent way too much time on the, aftermath and what's what's going on who's going where and i thought marco's big uh his big treatise was anticlimactic and so anticlimactic like <laughs> i i loved uh, i love the discussion about it he's like he well well he you think he practiced that in his head does it sound better in his head than, than it did and, and then fred johnson turning around and saying that's what we heard what the belters heard was him declaring victory Mm -hmm. Now, I, and, and all of this stuff is, is interesting, but all of this stuff could have been shortened and made more concise. And yeah, I, th I thought the second half of the book should have been something more than just build up. It should have been resolution and well, and build up for the next few books, but also it should have been some, some resolution in us seeing that build up, not just we're getting there, you know. 
Now, I, I know that all of us kind of express some appreciation for the fact that we got an opportunity to see all of the different main characters' points of view. Mm -hmm. It wasn't just Holden this time around. Right. It was all of them, right? Yeah. And they're all fun. They're all they're all enjoyable characters for one reason or another. And and maybe maybe this is something that, you know again uh, perhaps our perhaps our listeners are going to say oh you know wait until book seven or something <laughs> like that. But I I got to admit as I'm reading through this, I think I would have really appreciated even at the halfway mark if we had switched and we started getting perspective points from the Prime Minister of Mars. And Anderson Dawes. Yeah, not Anderson Dawes, uh, Fred Johnson. Anderson no, Dawes. Anderson. Wait, really? Okay. Yep. And let me tell you why. Okay. This is, this is, if ever there was a moment that I could say to myself, I think there's a fan fiction brewing on this one. Maybe it'd be <laughs> me. Um, the, with, with the, we, we're going to get a chance to hear from Avasarla and we do at the end. And I have to admit as everybody knows, I kind of have a little bit of a crush on Avasarala. <laughs> Not a romantic one, but one that makes me want to say, ooh, she's in? Where's my popcorn? I just want to sit and watch. <laughs> Delightful, and we'll probably get a chance to talk about that a little bit a little bit later. Uh, but but I, there is, there is, all of humanity, I'm having a hard time using my words, in case you can't tell, that's when I get really excited. All of humanity is dying. Because... Everything that you can do in the belt, everything that you can, I think Fred says it a couple of times. Yeah, just because we can do all of this stuff on the belt and on the Jovian moons and all these other places doesn't mean that it works really well. Yeah. We still need resources and material that comes from Earth to make mm -hmm. all of these things work. Mm -hmm. We still need some place to call home. And with Mars basically deserted and Earth basically destroyed, all we've got is the belt. I want to see the inside of the heads of state that have been betrayed, outmaneuvered, that have had a coup run around. And both, both of those people, Anderson Dawes and uh, Nathan, the prime minister of Mars, mm -hmm. have both had- I call him Nate, don't be jealous. <laughs> Thank you, Alex. <laughs> both have had major coups happen right under their noses. And they're acting like it. And, and the people that we're seeing are acting like, yeah, that's disturbing, but it's not really that big a deal because we're going to fix it. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see the inside of those other characters and find out what they're thinking about this. Is Anderson Dawes ticked? Is he frustrated? Is he annoyed? Is he? It was it a time frame issue? Was he planning on doing this himself? And Marco took over stuff. I, there's so much more that. I, and like I say, maybe our listeners are going to be like, Todd, wait till book six. Uh, but but that for me was a piece that I thought that would be that would have been really fun if we'd have explored it that way. So I think all of us... I like that. That's a good I one. think all of us, as we're looking at this, have come away from this saying, yeah, there's some pieces of this we didn't really feel like were executed as well as we would, as as well as we've been led to believe they were going to be. I think mm. that's... Is that fair? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I could... Yeah, I could buy that. Okay. I... Yeah. I, I wanted to use another analogy. It's more... It's like... Similar to Empire Strikes Back, it's like season three of a television series. You know, you okay. know what I mean? You yeah. get a, a, ser a series that runs, you know, five, six, seven seasons. And right about season three, things radically change. Yep. Typically. And they either get really, really good or season four is the farewell season. Right. Exactly. I, and you can go through and look at, look at your favorite television shows. And usually season three, the cliffhanger of season three is something radically different. And, and we get that here. Bobby comes back. Clarissa comes back. We get to... <laughs> We could have had so much. Well, I and, and I don't be jealous. Don't exactly color peaches. I I expect to have more fun with that. But we could have had fun with with Amos trying to convince them that bringing her onto the ship where she tried to kill everybody is not such a bad idea. You know, oh, I think that's coming. Oh, I, I I think I think there will be some. I think there will be some growing pains. But I think that the bulk of the protest has happened and and will continue off the page. I. Which is, which is kind Holden of disappointing. said no in like 15 million different ways. Right. If there were 15 million different ways, I'd still want to find one more. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, we get, we get Bobby back and we get Clarissa back specifically for the purpose of, of taking care of what Naomi was talking about in the first part of the book. Namely, we need more crew. Yeah. Which we've been saying for books now. We need more women because the men on this ship are lonely. 
is really what they're saying. <laughs> it almost it almost feels like that's that. what I felt like. I was like, I love Bobby and I loved Clarissa and I think they're fantastic characters. But at that same time, like they paired them so perfectly with Alex and Amos that I'm like, Oh, so that's what we're doing. Didn't it didn't it feel exactly like a little seven brides for seven brothers ish? We gotta send these boy we gotta send our boys out into the wilderness to get wives, honey. <laughs> and that's that's almost what it was. Wow. Like. Uh, that's not where I was going where I was going, but I, I can see it now. Just, I mean, uh, Todd I, didn't read the same book we did. It, uh, well, it, it did, felt but, a little bit like that, though. They I go out, they I, find... I, 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 no, I didn't. You didn't... <laughs> I mean, because they, they both they go to the they go to Mars and to, to Baltimore for for very different reasons, you know, for personal reasons. But the moment they get there and all of their business is concluded, what do they do? They go look up Bobby and they go look up Clarissa. That is the whole reason for them going out there was to, to get the women and come back with wives. Wow. I. This is well, the subtext. You didn't and, read into the subtext. And to put them no, in, well, and, and to put them subtext. in exactly the right location that they needed to be in order to, <laughs> well, save the Prime Minister of Mars and to be there so we could see the bombing of Earth. Okay, now that I get. People that, are going to hate me and Ken. That's the other. This reason. is all you got out of this book is that these two men need women. Yeah, that's, that's uh, no, that's not all we got out of this book, but that's a large part of what we got out of this book. women. That's exactly. My goodness, you two philistines i can't believe this <laughs> i'm not I'm, saying i'm not saying i don't want them to be partnered up with those two either part that was partnered up i'm, I'm really going, i'm going into my southern the, your, seven your mariner for draw? Seven, my seven brides for seven brothers draw <laughs> just by instinct my my mom is from alabama so or was, was from alabama. Really? yeah yeah so i okay, okay. I, I got i got lots of southern blood in you got but, you got room to be able to make those statements uh, okay absolutely we'll, we'll but my that. my point being i don't i don't mind that partnership of uh, of those two, you know, or the union of those two partnerships, I guess, is for lack of a better term. But yeah, that's. I'm I trying to. I'm. I, never mind. I'm gonna leave that alone. <laughs> um, okay. I've, I've spent too much time on that. Well, I, it yeah, sounds I, to me like we should have renamed this book instead of Nemesis Games. We should have. We should have renamed it Cupid's Games. <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a new version of the dating game, is what it is. So. I was also a little bit disappointed. Over here is bachelor number one. <laughs> he likes blowing things up and, and beating is, people up. And is called the hired gun for James Holden. That's James right. Holden's hired, hired killer. killer. <laughs> this guy likes flying ships and getting romantic. Oh, my goodness, you guys. We've gone so far away oh from this gosh. book. There are people probably right now who are saying, you know what? I really enjoyed the blue team right up until now. All right, so let's <laughs> let's shift gears. Obviously, we've we've now explored... The uh, the pairing issue. Uh, were there any other issues that you thought were worthy of discussion in this book, or was it just that? I, I was a little disappointed when we were talking about the recruiting trip from last uh, from last episode. Yeah, how, how they all went out and they were all going to bring somebody back to be part of the crew. I was disappointed that I was only half right in that she she brings sin out <laughs> from the ship with her. She brings sin out to die. Of, yeah. yeah. It's like he he goes with her, uh, sort of, and then he dies. Yeah. You know what? A go ahead. Sorry. So this is kind of going to turn from our very whatever that conversation we just had was more serious. I had a really hard time getting through this book, and it has nothing to do with I think the book itself, but everything that's going on in society and the world right now. Um, I got to the point where I didn't like I'm forcing myself to listen to this book. Because it's mirroring so much of what my reality is. Yeah, I agree. That dealing with the the prejudice and the racism, and I mean, these are, it's, yeah. this is on such a bigger scale than what we're dealing with right now, that I have a heart, that I was having a really hard time wanting to take the entertainment and these things that I enjoy and still throw myself into this world. Because here I am, I'm, I need an escape. My mind is going all over the place with everything that's happening in my life right now. And I was like, I want an escape. And this book for me was not it. This yeah. book feels like it's... It was yeah. It's heavy for, for what we're dealing with. On If I had read this book a year ago, I would probably feel completely different about it. It's possible. But things have changed a lot in the past year and even in the past... Six months. <laughs> Weeks. Like, yeah. And so things change are changing so quickly right now that now in the mindset I'm in, I was really struggling getting into this book. And I'm listening to a lot of Naomi's point of view as she's talking about the horrible things that she's done. And you get kind of that 
that inside look on what Marcos is doing and his ideas and this idea that violence is now the answer. Like everything else has been tried supposedly and it wasn't working. So now yeah. we're going to get violent. Yeah. And this book for me, um, on top of every like everything else that I've been joking about, it was a hard book for me to get yeah. through. Mm -hmm. There's a there's a there's a fine line between familiar realities and uh, too much familiarity in the reality sometimes. And for me, one of the, and part of, maybe part of the reason that I didn't enjoy this book near as much as I didn't expected to uh, is because we spent a lot of time planet side, spent a lot of time in earth mm -hmm. on earth down the, down the well. I found myself saying that the other day and somebody <laughs> looked at me and they go, what? I said, never mind. It's you, a great you, term. You'll, you'll get it later. Down the well. Um, but, but things are different when you are on earth because it feels very much like the same earth we're in now. And Stephanie, I think you hit it on the head when you say that it looks, uh, it, 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 it felt, um, a lot more similar to what we're dealing with here than some of the other things do. When you're when we're dealing with riots on Ceres or we're de dealing with riots on Tycho or on Eros, you know what those feel different a little bit because they emphasize the differences that are there. Um, this didn't feel this didn't feel as different. It felt much more like a morality tale of what happens when we're. Uh, what was it? There was a there was a quote. Um, let's see if I can find it. Um, the th uh, thing about civilization, it's what keeps people civil. You get rid of one, mm. you can't count on the other. And I, when I, when I heard that phrase, I don't remember where I was, but I do remember stopping and saying, oh boy, this really hits home for some of the things that are going on right now. Uh, I, I haven't stayed up on world politics. I don't know if the rest of the rest of the planet has been dealing with uh, with some of the political unrest that, that has been uh, part and parcel of living in the United States over the last six weeks or so. But I have the feeling that it's been happening there too, other kinds of, of unrest and frustration because of all of the things that we're learning about the pandemic and about where things are going and who knew what when and all of these different pieces of information. Who's responsible? We want, it, we, we want to blame somebody. Civilization always seems to want to find someone to blame mm -hmm. and have a scapegoat and say it's not our fault and uh that smacked of a little too much reality mm -hmm. for me and made it very uh i didn't sleep well after i in in the middle of this book uh for a couple of nights because it was it was hitting a little too close to home some of those pieces were well and there's it's in a naomi chapter in fact it's 35 because i have it up and she's talking about um her relationship and how it started with Marcos and how she grew up in the belt where you could tell who the bad guys were. They were the guys that beat their wives and raped their women and beat their children and they did drugs. And they were these terrible people. And then she got to know Marcos and he wasn't. He wasn't anything that in her mind was a bad man. He's worse. Right. Yes. In my mind, in my opinion, he is much worse. And I think than in her opinion now, these than just doing violent acts. Like he's taken it to this this grander scale. And as I'm sitting here and I'm reevaluating the people in my life and who I listen to, and like the media and things like that, I'm like, okay, it's easy to see who the bad people are. I mean, you can tell like these are bad things and these shouldn't be happening on a moral level. But there's so much worse going on that we don't always get that we don't always realize first when we first see it or we first hear it it isn't until you really can start taking time to think and learn and figure out for yourself going no this this is wrong yeah on so many levels that it just it's not wrong on this it might not look wrong on the surface but once you really start digging deep into it and that's kind of where my life has been the last few weeks. There's been a lot of soul searching and digging and like reading so much of Naomi and her growth in this story was just so personal to me mm -hmm. that 
it was, and I have to admit, I started the chapter 27 at about nine o'clock this morning. Oh, wow. (laughs) I finished this book about 15 minutes before I was supposed to be at the studio. Wow. My goodness. This is all very, very fresh for me. So this is all like experiences I had today as I'm listening to this and, and trying to figure this all out and how I feel. And so anyway... I've had at least 24 hours without having to deal with it. So I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I was able to come down from this before, <laughs> before having before to record. Having on. To record. <laughs> Stephanie gets a medal. Uh, we'll take care of that later. Um, so let me ask this question. As we look at, as, as we look at, there's a, there's a moment where uh, Jim is raging about Clarissa. She's a multi-murderer. She's killed all of these people. And you remember that bag that she was carrying around with her friend in it? <laughs> she has, you know, and and he just is raging. Did anybody else hear as he's going through all of that, how all of those same statements could be applied directly to Naomi? With the exception of I'm carrying to, around a bag with her I, friend's body in it. That was the one I was like, I'm trying to think of how... But I don't instead, know. she came out of the ship and just let her friend sit there. I mean, she's it, not innocent in killing her friend. Instead, sure. uh, and and that's and that was one of the points that I was going to make is that she has also knowingly because she could have said to Sin, uh, "I'm going out." Sin knew it. Sin thought he'd stop her. Sin, Sin thought it would be enough. She could have said something. Nope. She hyperventilates. She blows the air out of her lungs and ju- and opens the airlock and lets him die. Because it's the only way that she can save herself. Now, none of us are saying in that situation, I'm not trying to equate the two situations and say, well, Naomi's are exactly like Clarissa's and they're driven by the same things. And intention matters. I believe that intention matters. Yeah. And intent on, you know, Clarissa's intent and Naomi's intent, very different, very different when we were, when, when we look at those, but on the surface, Every one of those statements, as I was listening mm-hmm. to it, and I was doing a, I was doing a walk around my neighborhood. I was listening to it on my headphones. I was doing a walk around my neighborhood, and I was listening to that. And I, that was the second time in this book that I said, "Oh my gosh, this is a really, the, depending on how she handles it, this is a really painful moment for Naomi, mm-hmm. because she has to listen to the man that she loves say all of these things." And every one of them could apply to her. That is a really good point that I that barely dawned on me at the time. And now that you, you uh, expand on it, you elaborate on it right there. I'm like that. That makes a lot of sense. And it probably is why no Naomi is in her corner, is in Clarissa's corner, at least in terms of bringing her on the ship. I think we understand. I think we understand now why Naomi said, "No, she's forgiven." back two books ago. I think we're getting an insight because what she's seeing is, I understand what it's like to live with monsters. Yeah. And I, I understand what, living, monster, what yeah. living with a monster can do to you. It can make you into a puppet. It can make you into their version of a monster. It can infect you in ways you don't understand. I forgive you. I think, I, I think for me at least, as I unpacked that piece I said to myself, you know what? Naomi understood Clarissa long before anybody else did. And we didn't get a glimpse of that until now. We knew something was different. We knew that she, but I I think at the time that we were looking at that book and at that portion, we were saying, wow, what a noble character Naomi is. She's just willing to (laughs) look at those things and look past them and say, you're forgiven because she's a great... No, no. I I don't feel like we were necessarily looking at it quite like that because by this point, we know how much... We know from book one that Naomi has has read in her past. We know exactly how much now. But I don't think we had any clue. Yeah, but now we do. Now we do. So, And by that point, we do. By that point, we knew that there was something there was some bad stuff, but mm-hmm. I don't think we knew that she was responsible for the deaths of hundreds of people in a ship in a, in a catastrophic ship. Uh, no, no, I mean by the end of by the end of book five. Oh, by the end yeah, of book by five. The end yeah, of, by the now end of this do. book. Now yes, we, do. we know. And and so I think one of the things that that did for me, at least, uh, and maybe it didn't for you guys, uh, but but one of the things that it did for me is it made 
it, it, it added a layer to Naomi's grace in the way that she handles Amos and the way that she handles uh, Miller in the way that she handles all of these different people. Uh, it added a, it added a level of understanding to that, to what that was all about that I didn't have before. I was willing to just say, oh, well, she's one of those people that really can, can see past. No, I, yes, she is, but largely because she's got those same things that she's hoping that others will see past. Naomi's quickly become one of my favorite female literature characters. Yeah. Um, I'd buy that. Because she's exactly what you want, at least for me, I want the female gender to to look at, to strive for. None of us are perfect. I really hope most of us have not had the past that Naomi has. But when you, are you think revealing of- revealing something? <laughs> I certainly do not have the past. Just that checking, Naomi just checking, has. making sure. But she's the type of character between the growth and her learning, like this is what you want people in general to strive to become. Mm-hmm. You want them to be forgiving of those with with shortcomings. You want to be able to look at other people and go, I'm not perfect, and it's okay that you're not either. And so much of what Naomi does as I've gotten to know her over, especially I think this book, um, this um, nemesis game, as you get to really understand where she's coming from, that's the, like, she's the type of person I want to be. I want to be that type of person that I can look past. Like, she's in love with Jim Holden, and he's just this Boy Scout, and you already know that he has his prejudice that he's dealt with. But she's never really seemed to have those same thoughts towards him. Even when they were like back on the Canterbury and everything that they have with their past. But she's just this forgiving and welcoming person. And that's, I I can read her and go, okay, I can be like that. I can do better. I can be more like Naomi. And I think that's such a fantastic character to look up for. Because so many times especially in a lot of the books I've read lately, that women are are built to be strong, but then they become rude or demeaning. Or, or rigid? Yeah, it's a different type of strength. And I don't think Naomi still has such a softness to her that femininity kind of you expect, I guess. Like that when you think of the stereotypical, yes, women are supposed to be soft and they're supposed to be gentle. And I think Naomi proves that you can be both. You don't have to be weak and gentle. You can still be strong and gentle at the same time. I love it. Ken? I got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> I got, I. it all makes sense, but I didn't think of this book in nearly as deep a terms as that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just didn't. So, um, should we talk about Amos then? <laughs> I like I like Amos, although I wait a minute. There's an although. Well, I just don't think like I love Amos. I just don't think he has. I don't want to say he's not a deep character, but he wears so like his heart is on his sleeve. You know exactly what Amos is about and everything. Yeah. So I don't want to say he's not deep, but Amos has Amos has a real yeah. powerful moment. That Someone I, else I, I he has, to. he has he has a great amount of self awareness, which I love. And I love the fact that you know exactly where he stands on all things that there, there's no context or there's no subtext to him. There's no massaging around any issue. You know exactly where he stands with it and you know exactly where he will stand if things happen, you know, and that, and we get to see, we get to see a, a look at the fact that maybe he is not, we'd like to paint him as, as good because he does the things that are noble, but I like the fact that we get a glimpse at the fact that he is not good because he wants to be good. He's good because he's realized that he doesn't have any moral center of his own. You know what I mean? He, he realized uh, coming out of the churn uh, and coming out of Baltimore had left him so wrecked that he doesn't have any sense of, of real compassion on his own. He has, survival and he has what you can get away with what you can't get away what you can what you can't 
And and he tries to not leave a body count in his <laughs> in his path. Tries. He tries. He is not unwilling to leave a trail of bodies. But he's he's found himself in the last few years and and before the book even started with Naomi and, and then with Jim he's found a couple of Jiminy crickets that allow him to have some moral clarity or at least to have some focus on being a better person <laughs> he does you know he leaves the the crew of the the, the rich people on rich island alive <laughs> and he tries to get them out of earth because that's what Jim would do he tries to leave people alive because he knows that Naomi would want him to, you know, that, that sort of thing. And, and that's the moral clarity he's received. But we have now got to look at the fact that on his own, he's not so good. There that's, are, that's fine. He's still an enjoyable character because he's not on his own. There are two real, uh, maybe three real moments in Amos, in Amos's story that stand out to me as really as, as fun, uh, as interesting, but also as very illustrative of just how um, sociopathic Amos could be all on his own. Uh, one of them is right when he lands on Earth and he's talking to Avasarla and she's saying, you know, you nearly beat Murtry to death. And he said, well, let, let's be clear. Murtry swung first and I didn't stop hitting him because I was tired. I could have killed. I could have killed him if I'd have wanted to, you know. And it's 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 one of those moments where it's kind of like he's not trying to defend anything. He's just saying it like it is. That was one of my favorite lines, by the way. I didn't stop hitting him because I was tired. Like it was one of the. And, and I'm sorry. Maybe I'm a horrible human being, but I laughed and laughed and laughed. In fact, I think I rewound that one to make sure I'd heard it right. I didn't stop hitting him because I was tired. When <laughs> was wonderful, wonderful, right? Um, but the next one was his conversation with Clarissa after they went to the survivalist guy's house mm -hmm. and they took his stuff mm -hmm. and killed him. And Clarissa kind of challenges Amos and says, yeah, but aren't we, you know, you know, uh, Amos says, you know, well, he was a bad guy. He was going to kill us. And she said, yeah, but we killed him. And he said, yeah, but we weren't going to, we were going to trade. Yeah. But he didn't know that we didn't have anything to trade. Yeah, you're right. He didn't know. But that's but he still tried to kill us. We weren't trying to kill him. We'd have figured it out. And this moment of yeah, uh, oh, okay, we we got a problem here in the in the math because <laughs> you never had what you said. So it's a lie. You kind of you kind of pimped that fight. You kind of made him try to kill you so that you had a justification to kill. I can I can see Clarissa right. doing this, and, and then she calculus, says, "Yeah, oh, okay." Well, Clarissa is even more straightforward. She actually asked, well, doesn't that make us the bad guys? Yeah. Yep. She she doesn't beat around the bush with him. She, you can tell that she's like, well, isn't that true? Yeah. And then he's kind of like, well, yeah. And that's where we get the, that's where we get a clue um, that he understands. That he truly understands that he doesn't have this compass. Yeah. And he's like, that's why I try to make that work. Yeah. But the <laughs> for me... The last one for that was that was the really cool moment where I where we get a, we get a chance to see Amos kind of in his kind of in his sociopathic <laughs> element where he's we're, we're gonna figure things out and he's looking at the guards and he says you know you're you're not gonna go on board the ship and Avasarla comes up and says I'm gonna go on the ship I don't need a warrant I'm gonna go on that <laughs> ship and go through everything he says no you're not. <laughs> Because if you go through the ship, you're going to find something or you might find something and that might make you think that you need to do something. And then I might need to do something. And then we're all going to be doing things. <laughs> uh, I, and you notice I didn't talk about the other part where she said what she said. But I've got to tell you, that was, of course, when he says, and I don't look good in lace. Um, but <laughs> but we get it. We we get a glimpse. This is this is all just matter of fact. This is this is not complicated mathematics for this is not algebra. This isn't. This isn't this isn't trigonometry. This is simple mathematics for for Amos. Is somebody gonna do something that they don't want? Is somebody gonna do something to me that I don't like? If so, I'll figure out how to do it first because survival is the key. Is Amos wrong? In this moment, in this set of situations, in the all of these problems, is Amos wrong? 
I don't know. No, not necessarily. And from his from his perspective, his guiding star is simple survival. Yeah. And he sees everybody else as just trying to survive. That that's the root the the root driving force of life. Everybody just wants to survive. Yep. Wherever they can. However they can. And however they can. And and, and isn't it interesting? He kind of mentions it earlier in the book when he says I'm just like Eric, except I'm not just like Eric, because I know how to fix an Epstein drive. I know how to fix a fusion reactor. I have skills that make me different, but that's the only thing that makes me different is that I figured out skills. If I hadn't figured out those skills, I'd probably be just like Eric. Yeah. And then lo and behold, Eric shows up with him. They get to the rocket that's not working, and he's like, yeah, I, I can fix this. I have the skills and Clarissa's is like, I could help. Yeah. <laughs> and Eric's like, and, okay, you guys do that. <laughs> I, so I, was just, I, I think I'm just reading that spot. Um, I love that. Here we are. Three murderers. Three murderers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> three murderers with the skills and to do this. We're the best people to do this job. Okay. Sure. <laughs> Great. Oh my goodness. Oh and my here goodness. Here we are. It's a, it's, it's certainly, it's certainly different to get a view of Amos when he doesn't have Holden or Naomi to help him keep a moral compass in and place. And Clarissa is now his moral compass. <laughs> well, it's going to be interesting. I'm not saying it. I mean. That was kind of like. Maybe they keep each other grounded. Maybe I love, like, Yeah, that's kind of how I almost felt like they were because they got paired up early on. I'm sitting here and they're escaping from whatever prison she's in and they're they're off on their own just together. And even Amos comments, he's like, I kind of miss when it was just the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> but if anyone is going to understand, I think his background, and I'm not even talking about on a romantic relationship, which I can see this going in that direction. I don't think it has to, but I hope it doesn't. Um, Just the two of them building a bond between each other of understanding what it's like to be a killer, but still strive to do the right thing. Cause I think Clarissa with everything that she's been through. And I think we saw that at the end of, um, was it book three that mm-hmm. she was yep. in that she was making those changes to become a better person. She was yep. realizing the wrongs that she did in her past, how she was raised, how she was seeing things that, those weren't right. And she was working towards changing things. Cause there was a conversation she had about with um, a woman in her prison who's, she murdered all of her kids and her, this woman just kept pretending that all these kids were, were alive. alive. And um, Clarissa's like, well, she's crazy. If she thinks that her family's still alive and the woman finally confronts her and goes, I know they're dead. We're all dead. You're the only one that believes they're still alive kind of thing. And I think that's interesting of the mentality that Clarissa takes and the pairing between her and Amos is just so perfect Yeah, for me. It was like, who else do you pair Amos up with to have those weird battle of wits between the two of them where <laughs> they can confront each other on a very matter of fact, this is how it is kind of conversations that Amos <laughs> has with her that... I I really was I just enjoyed everything. I was like Amos, yes, you're you're the lightheartedness that I need in this book, even though he's the killer. It's yeah. almost yeah. it's weird that he's the James Holden's hired killer. Yeah, that he's the the light in this book, and maybe it is because it's he is. I I hate calling him simplistic because I don't think Amos is simplistic. No, but he's just direct. That's but all. he is. He's he's a simple person to deal with, I guess. I don't know what I, the right word. I don't have the right word to describe how I think of Amos, but dealing with him is simple in my mind because you do, you know exactly what you're getting out of him. Yeah, you do. But that doesn't mean just because he's simple doesn't not mean that there can't be a depth to it. Yes. So well said, Ken. (laughs) Once in a while. Wow. Ken, ladies and gentlemen, that's Ken Johnson. Um, (laughs) I I want to I want to uh I want to shift gears just a little bit. Were there I'm always shifting gears. Were there any were there any spots in this book that you said to yourself, "Okay, that's that's a real 
piece of insight that I can use for myself. Did this book ever well, hit that level for you guys? No, not necessarily, unless we're talking about the fact that I, I wish I could emulate being as direct as Amos sometimes. Uh, I'm glad you can't, Ken. Um, <laughs> there would be a whole lot of people being told how <laughs> stupid they are. Yes, there would. There was one for me that was really kind of interesting. And some some people out there are probably saying to themselves, oh, I bet he's going to talk about Avasarala. I am going to talk about Avasarala. <laughs> sure. It's the moment when they when Naomi comes in and says, I want immunity for the entire crew of the Rosinante. Or I, I want immunity for all of us. And Avasarala says, who is us? She says, I want immunity for the entire crew of the Rosinante. And Avasarala says... Let, let's be clear, you are asking for immunity for crimes committed in the past by all of the members of the crew of the Rosinante. And they said, and everybody knew that she, this was a scary moment because she hadn't used a single word of profanity. Right. <laughs> there is a, and, and it caused me to remember when I was younger, when you really get scared of people, it was a conversation that I had with a teacher when I was in my early teens, late teens, somewhere decades ago and the teacher said when people when are you most when are you most afraid of other people when they're noisy or when they're quiet hmm. and as part of this conversation we, the, we decided that when people are quiet is kind of when they're the most dangerous they're that's when they're the most scary if they're yelling if they're banging pots and pans together if they're slamming doors then it's a it's a simple kind of an anger but if they're still angry and they're quiet, it's a plotting kind of an anger. And that's when you become afraid. Says because every husband anywhere. Because you don't know. <laughs> that's right. Because you don't know. And as you know, as we had that conversation, I have noticed that in work situations, when people are mad, we can talk about it. When people get sullen and quiet and they start going off on their own, then we start seeing disruptive behavior. And I don't mean disruptive from a from a moving things forward and coming up with new innovation behavior. I mean intentionally trying to dismantle and destroy organizations. When we see somebody that's mad and angry as they're driving down the road and they're in a fit of road rage, we recognize that that is something that's gonna pass. But when some we when we when we see portrayals of individuals who are methodical about the way that they are setting other people up, we know that that's bad. This moment, as I as as we're reading through this, I said to myself, "Okay, this is why Avasarala is the way that she is." She uses the profanity to keep everybody off their guard, to keep everybody a little bit off balance. But she really does know what she's doing. And she's very aware of what everybody else is doing. It's almost as if she's a couple of steps ahead. And she reveals that by her absolute lack of profanity, a calmness about her that hasn't been there in the past. So why do I identify that as a piece that I say to myself, oh, that, that's something that I can think about. One of them, one aspect of that is I need to be aware of that. When I'm working with people, when I'm, when I'm trying to uh, be in, in work situations and some of those kinds of situations, they happen. I've seen them before. I think I'm going to see them again. I think I need to be aware of that and watch for those so that maybe we can head them off before people start becoming destructive to each other. But I also think that for me, it's one of those moments where I say, hmm, that might be a skill to use at some point in time, that when I want to make sure people understand where I really stand, I become very soft, very clear, and very complete about my restatement of what they're talking about. Todd's going to start swearing more is what he's actually That's what I'm taking from <laughs> this as well. That's what I'm hearing is Todd's going to start swearing more and watch out when he doesn't. <laughs> I'm simply smiling and sipping my Coke Zero. It's, Thank you very much. It, it's not just the silence, by the way. Uh, it's whenever 
it, it, it's when the public face changes. So if somebody is typically jovial, I'll take that. I'll take if that. somebody's typically jovial and, and they're and they're quiet. That's the that's the point. If somebody is typically taciturn and now they are speaking and now they're saying full sentence, I, I, I don't want to spoil anything for any other book series or anything like that. But I, I knew somebody in high school who was he was fairly laconic. I mean, I heard like three words from him the entire time we were in gym class together, except for the one time when I stuck my leg out and gave him a little hip shove as he was trying to drive the lane. Then I heard a whole string of sentences, not all of them radio worthy. And that's when you knew he was serious because he was talking at you. Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. So it's when it's when the, the personality, the public face changes. That's when, you know, things are serious. That's when you take note. Good insight. So anyway, uh, that was just a little bit of ever. Good insight. I, I don't, I, do we want to talk about plot holes? Let's talk about plot holes. I, for a book that everybody seemed to universally think is the, the best book of the series or their favorite book of the series, there were certainly a lot of criticisms about plot holes in the book. Let's talk about them, Ken. Uh, namely for the one, and the one that I kind of glommed onto is if stealth technology was really that big of a deal to Martian ships, to the Martian Navy, how was it so easy to acquire enough to conceal a bunch of rocks? And... Also, remember, this was a big plot point in the first book five years ago. I feel like I feel like the U.N. Navy would not have been so easily duped by stealth technology. OK, I'm just saying. Uh, and I would say as far as as far as why would it be so easy? Again, those, are, those are two different plot points. How why would it be so easy to get this? And why would it be so easy to dupe the U.S. the, the U.N. Navy? And I think in, I think in the case of making it easy to get. I don't think it was being made easy. I think it was part of the coup that was actively going on within the Martian Navy to set up the free Navy. Well, and clearly there was a lot of that, right? I mean, for the fact that they were able to acquire Navy ships, Martian Navy ships in the first place, you know, yep. there had to be a mole on the inside. Yep. And the, as far as the, as far as how much would be required for the tungsten slugs, I mean, we could do the math. We could probably figure out that, yeah, that it's, you know, why would you have all of that sitting on an open base? Mm -hmm. There, there are all kinds of there are all kinds of good conversations about that. Any other plot holes that you identified that you said to yourself, "Hmm, that's it's convenient." It looks like you have one. <laughs> <laughs> He's got that little Cheshire grin on his face, I, like I, Todd's got one. You know, for me, it was convenient to have a reason to have them all separate and then all back together. Yes. Which I thought we, yeah, I it's, think we mentioned that in the first one as well. And I, it didn't go away. It's convenient. And I understand it's a book. It's written as a book. <laughs> they're, he, they're telling a story. The idea that the, that the Rosinante is going to take six months or more to be repaired. And then they're apart from each other. And we get the, we get the idea. I mean, all of us have had the conversation. We've had the conversation here on the podcast. Space is big. It takes some time. <laughs> But when everything starts to really get moving, it's a matter of days. Mm -hmm. So was it all of that time, six months ahead of time, that it was taken to transit for all these places, and it just happens that after all of that, three days, four days, and we get everything back to normal? Because really, it should have taken another three weeks for the Rosinante to get to, uh, to, get to Earth, yep. to get to Earth orbit. Even even in Leviathan Wakes, it yeah. took to get from Jupiter to Earth took several days. Well, it's because Alex bet the new pilot for the Rosinante a beer. That's how it works. You're right. It all oh, right. revolves around of a bet of a beer. You're right. You're right. He had to get there faster <laughs> so he could beat Alex and earn his beer. He's a very good pilot. That's I don't even know who he or she <laughs> is. He listens to a lot of loud music, though. <laughs> I can't even remember. I I feel like when I was listening to as Holden's going through all of his pseudo crew and how they're different, I feel like they were all women in my head. But I might have just like blown past that as I'm working and listening, feeling like, why are they all women? Because that's what all of a sudden I felt. I felt like, oh, well, that was supposed to be Alex's voice, but it's this woman now. And oh, that was supposed to be Amos, but it's a woman now. I'm like, 
did Holden just crew his entire ship with a bunch of females? Naomi's not going to be happy about that. <laughs> well, Sorry, these are the thoughts that are going through my head. At be least. even less, be even less happy because if she rem- if she remembers his old ways on the on the uh, Canterbury, I would be interested in, and hopeful to see how many of the the temporary crew becomes permanent crew as well. I they have to. I think, in my opinion, they have to have more than just two new crew members. When she's talking about we need more crew, she's not talking about two girlfriends for our other guys. Hey, she's talking about. And let's be fair; they've just been given the responsibility of being the leaders of the police force, which is exactly why they need double and triple redundancy in and, key areas. They have been operating for five years without a medic for crying out loud. And and let's be fair: is it just convenient that James Holden gets to be the captain of the whole police force the anti-piracy thing who else would you pick out of the universe would you not pick the galaxy's most honest man to be your police but he's learning he's not the most honest man anymore haven't you followed his conversations with monica he's still the most honest he's still because everybody else is is learning how to hide things he may be the most honest man but that doesn't say much does it (laughs) doesn't say much for men i here's here was my problem with the conveniently driving them away and bringing them back together. And it's not necessarily a problem because their stories are usually built on the main team going their separate ways specifically to drive the action. But the key is to make it, make it there. How am I trying to say this? I don't know that it's usually, it's, it's usually driven. I know. (laughs) It, it, the plot is usually driven by by teams splitting up, but the the difficulty is making it look like the action is being driven by the team splitting up, not the team splitting up specifically to drive the action. Yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? And I feel like it, it, it. I feel like that line was straddled a little bit it, worse in the second half of the book than it was in the first half. It felt like the breaking of the fellowship and sending yeah. them sending them hither and yon. And we kind of knew that they were all going to be implicated in all of this together somehow, some way, shape, or form. I, I will admit, biggest the, the biggest uh, plot twist in, in this book for me was the actual bombardment of Earth. Yeah. And the idea that, and, and, and I, again, here, here we go with the science. There were two things in science of this book that I, that I said, oh, yeah, they kind of got that one right. One of them is the uh, the idea of an of an orbital bombardment of a of a distance bombardment. When you start talking about uh, about the kinds of distances and the kinds of accelerations that are going on, uh, yeah, okay, they're pretty t- that's something like that is going to be pretty tough to stop, especially if it is designed in such a way that it will get past that. The other one that I really liked, the other piece of the science that I really liked was when they were talking about the fact that uh, that where they were at. Uh, and I can't remember. I can't remember which one was which. One was which. It seemed like Alex and Bobby were on a different side of the sun than uh, Jim and Fred. And so, when we think about orbital mechanics and the fact that they were going to have to pass closer to the sun in order to get past it and slingshot and get where they needed to be, I, I for me. For, Stephanie's just staring at me with this look like that was the part of the book that I stopped reading. I didn't even, I didn't even pay attention to that. But for me, it was one of those moments where I went, Oh yeah, they're throwing in a little bit of orbital mechanics, spatial mechanics in this again. Hallelujah. I really like it. Put me back in my realm of science fiction. I vaguely remember something about slingshotting past Venus called orbital periodicity. (laughs) That is about the extent of the science I picked up from this book. It's, it's the, uh, it's the mechanics of, Pointing yourself in a certain direction to basically intercept what you're trying to intercept as it goes, you know, around. Thank we, you, Professor Kenny. I love, I love astronomy. We we <laughs> so don't always, we don't always, we all, we, we don't always think about the fact that while Jupiter may be in our solar system, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's close to us right. at this point in time. Right, exactly. Uh, and so that was kind of fun. It was, that was a fun moment. I'm, I'm interested to see... A lot of the buildup, where, where a lot of the buildup goes, a lot of the resolution, because... Now, wait a minute. Are you saying you want to read more of these, more of the series? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> it's very convincing. I want to read more of the series. I'm very interested to see what happens in Babylon's Ashes. However, 
are we going to record on that? Eh, you know what? We're not making an announcement not right anytime now. Soon, so, yeah, so. don't, don't. Yeah. Anybody that's listening and, you know, you're saying to your friends, oh, they just said that they were going to. Okay. I also want to read more, but I'm not sure that we're, I'm, I'm not sure that we are, we are not making an announcement yet. There's a, Unless, of course, you've seen it on the website because maybe this airs a little bit later and we've had a chance to fight it out and we'll we'll <laughs> tell you what, don't li- pay attention to what the website says. Don't pay attention to anything that you're hearing in the next three minutes. Yeah, right. Don't count on it. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask this. Any any anything else from this book that you that you said to yourself, ah, this made me smile. This made me say, OK, it was worth the work to get through all of the stuff to get to these moments. Alex becoming chummy with the, with the, uh, uh, what's, what's he called? Prime Minister of Mars was kind of funny. Every time he said that, I call him Nate. Don't be jealous. Yeah. (laughs) That was funny. That was, that was pretty good. And I I just love Bobby. She's just such a likable character. She's just so enjoyable. So here we go with the word simple again, but not simple in the terms of, of irrelevant, but she's just so straightforward. So, so plain to see, okay. I guess. There, we haven't really talked much about Alex and the storyline between him and Bobby, but there was a moment that I remember with um, when they're going after Naomi right before that, and Bobby is sitting there talking to Alex going, we have a job to do. We, yeah. we can't go and do that because we have a job to do. Sorry, but this man's life has to be more important than hers because he is ruling Mars right now, and Naomi is not. And then... Um, the prime minister comes in and basically says like, well, we have to go get her because it's part of their agreement, like ship in distress and everything. And I loved this moment that, that even Bobby admitted, like I wanted to go save her, but I still know what my greater duty was. And it was just that insight in, into Bobby that I thought was fun in this middle of this conversation, because you knew that she wanted to do the same thing, but she had a, a higher I don't want to say calling. That sounds dumb, but a higher, higher responsibility. Yeah, responsibility. Thank you for a, more, a, a better more word. urgent <laughs> set of priorities and, and, and responsibilities. Uh, it's built into you in the core. There yeah. were there were three three really quick last things, and 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 I think we'll be uh, ready to kind of put this one to bed, so to speak. Uh, oh, do we have some questions? Ooh, you pulled you pulled up and said some questions. Maybe we've got something more we want to talk about first. <laughs> I don't think we really do. If you want, we'll we'll wrap up with this because I think this would be a good ending. These are, we have two people that have asked pretty much the exact same question. Okay, well, so. let me okay. let me share these ones really quick and then we'll get to theirs. Um, the first one was, did you notice some of the callbacks that they made to the first book? When Alex is flying the Razorback and he says, you can't take the Razorback, he said to the tiny red triangles, we are gone and gone and gone. <laughs> and I, I, I heard that and I went, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> and the moment when Jim was saying, and we have all of these people coming in, he really wanted a hat. And I said to myself, <laughs> ah, that's funny too. That's funny too. That was... But there was one other moment. Um, and it was, and again, it was an Avasarla moment when they got every, they, they've got everybody together and Alex and Jim and everybody are saying, so, or I think it's Alex. He says, so did your son make it off? And he said, he's here on Luna. And he said, and our June, and she said, I continue to be hopeful. And uh, yeah, that was that was a hard moment. That was a that was a, a sweet, soft, touching moment for me. And so whoever it was that put their money on like had, 58 minutes. Had to get go. one touching Todd moment in there. Well, you know, I I, I have to be predictable. All right. Yeah. What's our what's what do we now? This is from Discord or from Reddit? This is from Discord. Okay. And I think it's funny. I, we've pretty much already touched on this, but both um, Kip Tan and Horizon Brave basically said the same thing. I'd like you to discuss why this is the best book in the series. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've touched on that. So I'm pretty sure we talked about that. And then, oh, and who is the nastiest person in the Expanse now? And why is it Marcos? <laughs> oh, yeah. And I'm no. both of them have, both um, Kip Tan and Horizon Brave have basically said, the exact same question. So you can tell that these two at least enjoyed the book. And yeah. I'm sorry if we have disappointed you in our conversation. I, I hope that we've given yeah. it justice, like that we did enjoy this book. 
We did. That there was a lot in this book that is worthy to talk about. There's there's just there a is. lot that I have questioning going forward, you know, in terms of did you does Marcos think that people are going to seriously go along with this plot to kill billions of people and then just say, "Okay, yeah, now we'll follow you." Yeah. What Anderson is, Dawes is totally going to go for that. What is it that Fred says? There are a lot more people that think they're Alexander the Great than mm -hmm. are. Yep. That's exactly, and I think uh, Marcos is going to find himself to be one of those people. I would not be surprised. And I think when he finds out that he is, I don't think Marcos is the most horrible person in the universe. I think it's the big shadowy corporation. I think somebody's uh, pulling his strings. Yep. I think it's the string puller, and, the puppet master. And heaven help me if it turns out to be Dresden. <laughs> <laughs> That somehow he cloned himself and survived. Oh, and, my gosh. Yeah. Now we're going into some completely different stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. Well, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Thank you for being with us on this ride. But by the time this airs, I think there will be a declaration as to whether or not we are continuing with this, the Expanse immediately or if we're going to give it a short hiatus and uh, look at some other things and then come back to this at a later, at a later time. While we recharge Stephanie's battery. I will make the declaration that we will be taking a break from the experience. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Have a wonderful day. and We'll talk to you next time.